How do we create more sustainable people, businesses and a more sustainable world? At EarthSelf, we believe you need to create harmony between humanity and nature. Sustainable the Podcast brings you inspiring interviews with leaders who are taking action to help create harmony between humanity and nature. Join your host, Tabby Jane, founder of EarthSelf, to discover nature-connected ways of being and working and become inspired to take action. Today on Sustainable the Podcast, I'm speaking to Valeria Duflot. Valeria is co-founder and ideator of Venezia Authentica, an entrepreneur from an early age. She believes in the power of community and goodness. After consulting and leadership positions in industries such as health, innovation, hospitality, and entertainment, she realized the importance of strong business ethics and people-centered services and policies. Convinced that ethical businesses can be powerful motivators of positive impact, she envisioned Venezia Authentica, a people-powered way to save Venice and the Venetians in early 2015. Welcome, Valeria. It's great to have you on Sustainable today. Thank you, Tabby. I'm happy to be here. So we've kind of talked a little bit about the inspiration behind Venezia Authentica in your introduction there. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure, I'll be happy to. So what inspired Venezia Authentica was like, in many cases, the combination of both personal experience and a problem. So in a nutshell, the problem that we saw was that where we live, so in Venice, the one in Italy, people keep on moving out and are not coming back and people are not coming to replace them. Most of the people, the people who are leaving, they are not doing so by choice, but because they cannot afford to stay. And actually, the demographic which we are, so we are in our early 30s, is the most touched by this phenomenon because young adults cannot find a place where to live or a decent job, which means that they go start their family elsewhere. So not only does the population leave, but the remaining local pool of people, let's say, cannot grow. And people get older. There are no newborn babies, or at least very few. It recreates a problem because the population is disappearing. Mm. I'm not exaggerating, actually, because that might sound a bit dramatic, but the maternity hospital in Venice almost shut down a few years ago because the number of births is so low that it does not justify the cost of the service. And it's too dangerous for mother to go uh, there because the medical team doesn't have enough opportunities to practice their craft. I mean, it's insane if you think about it because we're not speaking of a small village, but we're speaking about one of the most famous Italian cities. Mm. So anyway, back to the birth of Venice Authentica. So my partner, and so my partner in life and business, Sebastian, he's lived in Venice all his life. And now barely any of his friends have managed to stay. Why most of them wish they could have done so? Because as Venice is an entirely pedestrian uh, city, the quality of life here is like spectacular. This is actually precisely because we live here and that we have two very distinct profiles that we could manage to understand the problem and the possible solution to this challenge. Like for the little story, Sebastian, who's been here all his life, was running his family business with his sister, his brother. And they eventually had to shut down 
because of the effects of mass tourism. And that's a fate that many local businesses know here because of very high rental costs and the lack of customer and so forth. So while me, I first came here as a visitor, who was very eager to have an authentic experience and to support the local businesses, it was very challenging to do because there was a huge lack of information as well as like a general confusion, you know, created both by the combination of huge crowd because you have so many people in Venice and the abundance of test shops everywhere around me. However, I did manage to do so. And this is when I met an artisan who was crafting traditional masks and a family of jewelry designers that I really fell in love with Venice as they shared their love for their craft in their city with me. So based on this experience of mine in 2014 and the one of Sebastian as a strong local business owner, we managed to identify the pain points of both visitors and small business owners. And we understood how those were linked to the transformation of the city. Because what happens here is that the quality shops and restaurants and the quality of the local businesses, they all shut down and they're replaced by new ones targeting tourists who are looking for one euro or less as souvenirs or cheap foods. So beyond changing the aspect of the city, this removes decent jobs from the local community as well as products and services, which are essential to daily life, as well as to the maintenance of the local culture and, and identity. Uh, so one day, when I was walking on the main street here in Venice, I found myself between a group of young Venetians who were hovering a flag and they were singing local songs and because there was a local festival. And it was between them and a group of day trippers and I had like a aha moment when I realized that when I first came to Venice that time, my reflex had been as a tourist to do everything that I could to support the local businesses. And I couldn't have been the only such tourist. So that's where I realized that I saw the potential that there was in making it easy for more like conscious travelers to be able to do the same and therefore to return more money in the local community and contribute to halting the local exodus. So that's the inspiration behind Venezia Authentica. Yeah, I mean, it's really powerful to sit and listen to you talking about it because, I mean, I was aware of this, especially from looking at your website, that people were leaving the city because they couldn't be, or they couldn't afford the rents there. But I really didn't realize how extreme it was if you're talking about a maternity hospital or a maternity ward in a hospital nearly closing down because there's not enough children being born in the city. That is... Mm-hmm kind of quite intense and then just hearing how the whole demographic and the whole population is shifting so dramatically and so suddenly. And I mean, is this been something that as more tourists have come to Venice, is this something that's just happened in maybe like the last X number of years as tourism has increased? Yeah, so you can see a correlation between the population decrease and the increase of tourism. Okay. It's been like the past decades that really it's been accelerating. Now there are 1,000 people per year who are leaving the city. And you have to know that the population is of only 53,000 people. So people leaving the city each year is a very significant number. Yeah, that is kind of quite shocking. Mm-hmm. And when Venice was at its biggest, I mean, what was its population? 
before this population decline started? Venice, when it had um, its peak of population, was 150,000 people. And you have to know that Venice is small. It's only eight square kilometers, of which two are not accessible because they are military area. So you have six square kilometers where there was 150,000 people for living. Wow. Mm -hmm. So we're talking a population decrease of two-thirds of the entire city. Yes. It's worse than when there was the plague. It's worse than there was a plague. Venice was hit by two major plagues. And tourism is taking a bigger toll on the city than the plagues. Wow. That's kind of quite sobering when you put it into contrast there that there's been two major plagues. And the plague of tourism, for want of a better expression, is the one that's mm-hmm. impact. So we're seeing from what you've talked about there that this mass tourism is really negatively impacting the population. So it's shrunk the population by two-thirds of the Mm -hmm. population. You've said that it's been shutting businesses down. It's been changing Mm -hmm. the types of products that are being offered in the city. Mm -hmm. I mean, what other impacts is mass tourism having on Venice? Venice is really having a severe impact on Venice. So it's shutting businesses down. The thing which happens is that when you remove businesses, local businesses from a community, you remove decent jobs from that community because the business owner, they lose their job. The people they employ, they lose their job. And you also remove essential services and products from this community because when the market completely shifts to service another kind of customer, which is clearly the fact in Venice because you have to know that if you have only 53,000 people left in Venice in 2018, the number of yearly visitors in Venice is of over 30 million people yearly. Wow. Which means that, yeah, that means on any given day, you have more tourists than local in Venice. And you have to know that two thirds of those visitors, they are day trippers. And the day trippers, they clearly have different interests than the one of the local residents. And as they are driving the market, what happens is that everything which is essential to uh, local life, everything which is essential to the preservation of like a centuries-old culture and so on, is disappearing. So it really threatens both the existence of a people, but also of a culture, of a tradition, of a, a way of life, and of a heritage. Because in the case of Venice, like if you no longer have people who know how to take care of the city, because it's a very, very particular city, the city is just going to crumble and fall apart. But I know it's something that people struggle understanding because there's a common misconception is that when you have tourism, people think that it benefits the local community. And but at a certain level, it can really be the contrary. It's something that you can see actually beyond Venice. Like, if you look at the recent protest that there has been in the past years in other iconic cities of Europe, like because you can see that there really is a problem with tourism that is disrupting their life. Mm. You see that especially in Europe because the most mature tourism market in the world, you have half of the global visitors coming to Europe itself. So it really is shown here, but it shows the evolution of the impact of tourism on the location. And Venice is the postal child of this problem because 70% of the population was displaced in the past 70 years because very few people profit from the travel industry. Okay, so what happens 
He said the main part of this visitor's money, which is counterintuitive for most people, is that it doesn't stay in the location. It leaks out of Venice. It leaks out of the destination because what's happening in Venice, but it's also what's happening in Barcelona, in Paris, and so on. And what is the result of that is that the residents, they become impoverished and they're left with nuisances, with higher costs, because you are saying what are the consequences that rental cost of living they're all increasing and you have no longer decent jobs. That means that also there's no longer wages giving the chance for people to be able to stay in the city. So that's why people leave and it really is not a problem which is limited to Venice. Like if you look a bit around, you see that Barcelona, Amsterdam and all of the tourist hubs, they've been pledging for one thing. They say, we don't want to become the next Venice. <laughs> I mean, if you see that, we don't want to become the next Venice. Like Venice is really the example of what uh, tourism can do because it's so small. You know, it's like looking in the lab and seeing like the evolution, like the turnaround of businesses is so quick, you wouldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And when you see the tourism sector is really undergoing a steady growth, like it grew of 8% uh, last year, and that always more people are traveling to urban destination. And we live in a world uh, where like in 70% of the people will live in cities by 2050. It's very, very important that the impoverishment of the local communities, which is led uh, by tourism, and the threat that it poses to everything that we mentioned before, like the people, the culture, the way of life, the heritage, is addressed because we just cannot ignore it because everything is going to disappear. Yeah, and it's really sobering for me to sit and listen to you talk about this and explain such of the impact because, I mean, I've been aware that Amsterdam and Barcelona, I lived in Barcelona for a few years, Uh a few years ago, so I understood some of the local tensions there, but not to the extent that you're talking about there, what you're literally talking about. And I'm going to use an analogy from what I've been hearing you say because it really challenges that notion that us tourism, our tourists, when we have more money, we're doing good, we're benefiting countries by going and visiting and spending our money. And what you're actually saying is, no, you're not. It's almost like in some ways we're a plague of locusts. We're turning up and we're taking everything from the city, the culture, the jobs, destroying the economy. And then once we've had the experience of being a tourist and seeing what it's like within that city, we're moving on and literally leaving, in effect, a week of destruction behind us. Yeah, so that would be the tourists who go to a city and consume it. Mm. The tourists who go to a city and behave more like, let's say, a temporary resident who care about where he she spends her time and her money. She behaves and some is beneficial for the community. Highly beneficial, I'd argue. That's actually what's behind Venezia Authentica is a pure mathematical idea. We were like, okay, 53,000 people left in Venice, or 55,000 at the time. They are not enough to change things, to save Venice. But what is the biggest resource that we have that could really change things? Is tourism, is the visitors. Because each, every visitor is a person who is capable of making a choice. And that person is capable of deciding what they want to do with their money. 
and to therefore decide what is the impact that they want to have on a city. Like I always said, when you buy something, you vote for the person that you're paying, okay? So if you choose to spend your money at a local business, you're basically voting for this local business to stay in business. And so you're voting for a city where the residents manage to stay. You're voting for the cities that you want to know, for the societies that you want to survive. So tourism per se is not all negative. We see in macho market like the European one that when the trippers take over and that better kind of tourism does not exist, it destroys cities. But if all the people who are sensible, who, are, who care about the impact and about just having an authentic experience, start being able to do so, it can really, really help a sustainable economic development and have a huge amount of positive social, economic, and cultural and consequences. So, like, people at times tell us, oh, we don't want to come to Venice, we've seen the press and sound, it's so bad that we're destroying Venice. We say, no, 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 no. If you are telling us this, you are precisely the kind of person that we want to see coming to Venice. You are precisely the kind of person we want to know is traveling because you care. And if you care, that means that you're going to make the right efforts to have a positive impact. And that also means that you are going to be to have a much better time because this is how we've designed Venice Authentica because it is so much more pleasure in trying to experience a city like a local, but truly not just for saying it, you know, taking mm-hmm. the time, meeting the people, experiencing their life, trying to live like them. is so much more pleasure. It's so much more rewarding to do that than just running a city and take some photos to say, oh, I've done this city, right? Mm-hmm. It's also highly beneficial for the visitors to be, have such a mindset. So really tourism is not all form of tourism need to stop. It's just that we need to manage to change mindsets and encourage and facilitate the cultural tourism, the responsible tourism, which is positive for a community. Mm-hmm. And that's why actually our goal us, is to make sure that more of the tourism revenue goes into the pockets of the local population, supporting so locally run and independent businesses, and by incentivizing cultural traveler and using digital technologies because so that it's in, in everybody's pocket. So concretely, we've built a platform which is called veneziaauthentica.com and which makes it easy and fun for travelers to feel like locals and directly support businesses so that we have selected, vetted, and that we control over time against criteria such as local ownership, quality, sustainability, and social responsibility. This is why, because what we tell to our users is that, okay, you use what we do, that means that you're going to have a good experience, that you are going to have only quality products, services, and so on, and you're going to make a positive impact. This is all guaranteed, it's 100% sure. And the only way that this is possible is by making sure that each and every local businesses that we have them support and we have them patronize is itself having a positive impact on the local community. And so once we onboard those businesses, what we do is that we build uh, them a free, detailed and profile, which is interactive as VR and geolocation on our website to help those users 
feeling like they want to go and visit these places that they've seen, which look so cool or have great products and stuff. And we organize those profiles around sections which are very travel friendly because they're like where to eat, drink, shop, and they're also free to consult. So it's really in a way to facilitate the right choice, the right decision from the visitor's point of view. We also have other things. We also have for visitors or companies, the, we offer the ability to book experiences or to request on-demand services, such as catering, photoshoot, or anything they can think of. If they need a service in Venice, we want them to have quality and to make sure that they give work uh, to the local entrepreneurs. So that's another thing that they can do. And really what is essential to what we do, something which we believe a lot, is our program, which is the Venice Authentica Friends program. Very simple. It's something which unlocks for the buyers of a digital personal website and discount at all the businesses in Venice who have signed our charter and easy to identify both online and offline. Because this allows to recreate the experience that I was speaking about before the one of my first time in Venice when I entered the shop of those people and that they opened up to me and that they shared their life uh, with me. That really created something special. And what I bought that day to date within the most precious things that I have. And so we really want to recreate that for both the visitors and our partner uh, business owners. And that's how we do it. It works. So we're happy. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love the way that you've reframed it and says, actually, it's the mindset of the tourism. And if you're going to come in as a temporary resident to live, to experience Venice, then you can create this positive impact. And how you're mm-hmm. doing that is, in effect, creating this ecosystem, using the internet almost as a way to create this community of business owners who are providing that authentic experience, but also as a way to amplify that message so that those tourists who really do care about what's happening to the city can easily find a way to have the alternative experience and vote with their money to keep Mm -hmm. people in business. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We'll be right back after this short nature break. So then what are some of the challenges that you face in growing this ethical business and how have you overcome them? I would say that the challenges that we face during on this ethical business are, are the regular challenges that any business face with an added layer of complexity, which is that we have to protect and stick to our mission. And that our objectives also are double. We don't only want to be economically sustainable, but we have to make a significant impact. So the challenges typically that we're facing right now, because we're a startup, is to reach our target customers. And it's not easy because when you target the cultural tourists, you're already in a niche a full population. We were mentioning earlier that one third of the people coming to Venice are people who are overnight visitors. So it's already really 
we have to find ways to be able to appeal to the people who are likely to be wanting an authentic experience to have the time to benefit the local population. And another thing that we are another challenge that we face right now is to build the right partnerships because it's very important for us to be able to meet our project objectives without compromising on our mission mm. and not putting at risk all the work that we have done and the reputation and trust that we've worked so hard to build because they're central to our, uh, our impact. Our users, they believe us when we say, okay, this place is a good place where to go. They believe us because we've built that trust, we earned that trust, and we cannot put that at risk because otherwise nothing else would work. Mm-hmm. And other challenges that we foresee is that we would like to, in the future, to develop and to expand to other cities which are facing the same kinds of issues. Because Venice is like we were saying, it's like a lab. Now you really see what's happening. If we manage to nail down a model which works and has the impact that we want, it needs to go to other cities who are going to have the same problem. And so for that, we will need investments. And so a huge challenge there is going to be able to onboard the right investors and to be able to keep our mission protected. So that's going to be something that we'll have to look at for. That's really kind of quite impressive. And I love what you've said there that it all about, I've written it down, it's that commitment to both money and mission. And one cannot be sacrificed at the expense of the other because of the reputation and trust that you've been building into this business model. Absolutely. And if there is no money, likewise, we cannot achieve anything. This is the thing. When you have a social enterprise, you need to make money. It's just idealistic to think that money doesn't matter because money is what fuels everything. You need to be able to inject money to grow. You need to be able to have money to eat and continue to be 100% of the time on your mission and also to hopefully grow and give jobs, those decent jobs that we're speaking about to the local community because the local community does not deserve only traditional jobs. We also should have marketers. We should also have people who are web designers and so on. And so we want to grow and we'd like to give those jobs to be aware that to be able to do that, we need money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in social enterprise, money matters. When people say the contrary, I think they get into trouble. Mm-hmm. I like that reinforcement because even when we're wanting to do good, it really is that case of we can only do good. And you used a wonderful expression there. Money is the fuel that makes our mission succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really powerful. Without that, we can't be doing good at the expense of bringing in the revenue. Mm, absolutely. So then how has focusing on sustainable tourism, Valeria, impacted the way that you now live your daily life? Uh, so I would say that what we really focus on is on facilitating sustainable economic development using tourism. So tourism for us is a mean to an end. It's a mean for us to drive more customers to local and independent businesses. So it's our way to allow more people to vote, like we said earlier, for the people who make the economy they want, as it shapes the societies and the cities we live in, as well as the future of our cultures, our way of life and tradition. So we're definitely responsible consumers and we're proud to be responsible customers. We've always been paying attention, close attention to where we spend our money and not own too much. And now more than ever, we prefer quality, sustainability, and ethic over quantity. 
So when it's feasible, we buy local. All the things that we get for ourselves, the clothes, accessories, and so on, we get them from the artisans that we support. And we never eat at the chain, for example. Like we really do what we are preaching. Like we cast our votes. We really want to spend our money in the right place where it's possible. Of course, it's not always possible because at times you have no other choice than buying this made in China thing and so on because there's just no alternative. But each time that it's possible, we really, really make a point on spending our money in the right place. Also because all of those people, it would feel almost dishonest for us not to do so. We'd be like, ah, why did we do that? Like, we could have contributed more uh, to Marilisa's well-being or whatever. So yeah, mm. it created this emphasis on spending our money in the right place and thinking of, as a money as a transfer of wealth rather than expense. Yeah, I like that because what I'm really hearing you say is by practicing what you're preaching through Venezia Authentica, you're in effect helping the wealth to spread throughout the economy and continue to share the benefits of this wealth with every member. Yeah, it's very important because the economy is what drives everything. So empowering the people that you want to see uh, succeed and you want to see happy is really the best thing that you can do. And I believe that you might be having a little less money, but somehow you feel richer anytime that you spend a bit of money. Mm. So who do you most admire and why then? I would say that the person I most admire is my great uncle. So he passed away. But somebody who has always inspired me since I've met him uh, when I was 16. I'm from a mixed culture family. My mom, she was born in Madagascar. And for the people who might not know, Madagascar is a big, beautiful island in the Indian Ocean. It's very important for its endemic fauna and flora. But it's also one of the poorest countries in the world. And my great uncle and his family there, his direct family, nuclear family, they were like many people in Madagascar, extremely poor. And one day when we were on a road trip, uh, we stopped and announced at his house to say hi. And he ended up coming with us, coming along. And I remember that he took an extra jacket, took his cassettes, and on which he had recorded beautiful songs. He put them in his internal pocket. And he came in the car with us. And all the way to where we were going, all along the journey, he was singing like full and singing and singing and singing during the entire journey. And uh, his happiness, while he was so poor, is something that never left me, especially because I was a teenager coming from France and so on, from the West, and where everybody is complaining, never happy. Mm. And I realized how much we have in the West and how lucky we are. And the fact that we're always complaining and happy makes no sense <laughs> because you don't need much. Like, they really had nothing. And he was so happy. So really, happiness is mindset and it's... it's we're responsible for our own happiness. And often we make ourselves unhappy when we have everything we need. Like, for example, something also that I remember is that he had no teeth left. To tell you how poor he was, he had no teeth left eating manioc. I don't know if you know what manioc is. Mm -mm. It's a plant of which the root is very, very chewy. Okay? So he was eating it, taking it in his mouth, mm. and was able to chew on it without the teeth. And the habit that it was. So that really kind of became my 
internal life metaphor. I'm like, I can live my life like I'll be eating manioc with a tooth. <laughs> it's extraordinary. It's just like makes you relativize so many things. Mm, yeah, now he sounds like a wonderful man. So what is one of your most favorite memories of time or place in nature and why? A time or place in particular, but more moments. Like I have a mare, which is a lovely quarter horse mm-hmm. called Donna. I don't see her enough now, but I will make sure that it changes soon. But my favorite memories on nature are with her because I think that there's hardly anything more beautiful than making me feel freer than when we go out together in the forest, at the beach, in the country, or in the middle of the fields. Anywhere where there is space and that we can be a lonely surrounded by nature. Because like when we find the right spot, she knows not she asks because all animals have their way to ask. And uh, I let her go. And we launched in a long gallop. And I love that. I feel so much freedom, happiness, and uh, communion in these moments. is really where my best memories in the nature are born. And last, because I carry them in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And it's something just listening to that. I mean, I'm not a horse rider, but um, far, I've yeah. <laughs> I'm allergic to horses. So I have a love from them, but a difficulty interacting. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to have that freedom and happiness of a gallop just sounds so amazing. So then how that experience of being free galloping on a horse on a beach or through a forest or in the countryside, how do these influence and impact the work that you do? Well, I would say that nature on itself can teach you a lot, that the contact with nature inspires lots of respect and gratefulness for the world, at least in me it does, and I think it should for many people and probably it does remind us that we have already have everything that we need and that our duty is to pass along what we have. It should make us understand that our real wealth is not anything that we create or say that we want to collect, but what we've been having since the beginning and that sadly we are destroying in nature. Mm. I mean, life is incredible. Animals, to go back to this gallop and donor, they can teach you a lot. And I think horses in particular, that's why I wish that you could find a way to pass on this allergy because, like, for example, Donna, she's, oh, that's cool. Oh, I don't let it stop me, believe me. I mean, I'm friends with horses and I do, like, horse equine therapy and horse coaching. Exactly. Like, for example, Donna, she's 20 years old. horses are just amazing. And I have her since she was two years old. I was 14 at the time. I educated her as long as she educated me. I think she really taught me a lot. Like, there's so much to be learned when you interact with a different species <laughs> from yours, especially when the animal is as strong and fragile and generous and fearful as a horse. I think, like, she really, like, respects for every form of life, for everyone's mm. character and differences, and the form, and also respect for all forms of intelligence and needs, and for boundaries also, because horses clearly have their boundaries as well as the ability to question myself rather than blame others, mm-hmm. are all things that Donna gave me. And I sound stupid for people who do not have that kind of relationship with another individual from another species. But really, interspecies interaction, having practical bonds with animals and horses are the one I know best, really, really can teach you so much about yourself and about how to interact with other forms of life. Mm. Yeah, so true. Some of my best friends <laughs> have been dogs, cats. And I remember somebody saying to me, you know, 
when I was a teenager, like, who's your best friend? And I was like, well, I think my cat's my best <laughs> friend. And she looked at me as just like, you're weird. Like, I met new friends. And I thought, well, they kind of are, you know, because what I love, like you're saying, like animals can uh, really interact and you can learn from them. Every single time I yeah. was upset, mm-hmm. one of my cats would come and would comfort me. You know, it's, mm. it's the same. I've seen it through the working with horses. I've seen it with dogs. If you're upset, an animal will come the same way as a human and say, look, I can see you're upset. Yeah, I would have given probably more because there is nothing which comes on the way. Like humans, we can tend to second guess things, be like, should I go? Is that appropriate of me? Or oh, no, I won't do that. This person just did that to me. While an animal just think in the moment for that kind of thing, they're just going to do uh, what feels right. Mm-hmm. It's something that we can learn. Actually, we can also learn to set aside uh, differences, divergences, and so on, and just do what is right. Mm. So what's the one thing that you want people to take away from our conversation today then, Valeria? If you allow me, there are two things I'd like to say. Yes. Okay. The entrepreneurs are future entrepreneurs within the audience, and the other ones will be uh, to each of every one of us. So for the entrepreneurs... I would like to say that there are so many problems that is solving and that time is ticking and that we need to act. And so we need you to act if you believe you can do so because too few people are doing so and you would be surprised at how much you're capable of achieving if you have the drive, you commit and you give it a try. It's really, really important. And as of the decisions that you make matter, the choice to make an impact and to dedicate a part of your time of your life to it is really something important and that everybody would be infinitely grateful for so just like don't think too much just try and solve the problem that you know best i just like want people to understand something that we hear often that they shouldn't think that it's just them like often people say like wow it's only me like, if I had changed this thing in my lifestyle, in my habits, it really won't matter. You know, it's not true. There are 7 billions of people who just think that's only them. So each of the small actions of those 7 billion people, they add up and they build an impact. So it's very important that we try and do the right thing because you might not be the only person who's switching the light off in this room today or spending this dollar at a local business, it really does matter. It does not have to make a huge change for it to matter. Like to go back to the example of uh, our example, for example, when it's uh, Authentica, imagine just how much things can change for a local business owner if you have to decide to invest in that person. Like if you say like there are only 10 other people who decide to do that and that each of you spend as little as just like 50 euros as this shop per month, it's like 500 euros more per month, which is enough to pay like this one bill, which was waiting there. And that might be the difference between staying open or having to shut down. Mm-hmm. That might be the difference between staying in the city, keeping the children in the city, and having to go away. So it matters a great deal. So obviously, the more, the better. But there's no great collective impact if we don't make those individual conscious decisions and decide to act rather than lean on and say, why? What I do won't change anything. Because it's wrong, no? All the decisions we take, they matter. And we all have enough power to change the world and to make it better, 
in a more sustainable place. So that's why to go back to what we were saying earlier, the money we spend is really a vote that we cast for the world that we want. And so we really have to use this opportunity that we have to cast a vote and use it wisely and use it always. I think that's really what is important and I would like people to take away. Mm -hmm. Vote with your acts, vote with your money. It does matter. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me on Sustainable Today, Valeria. Thank you for having me, Tabitha. I had a lovely time. If you want to bring more nature into your life and your organisation, find out more about how EarthSelf's nature-connected coaching, consulting and training can help you and your organisation achieve optimal well-being and performance at www.earthself.org.